Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke. My Radio Great today has spent the best part of three decades on stations across the northeast of England. He began his career as part of the launch team of the newly formed Century 100 to 102 before embarking on a career across many heritage stations in the northeast of England, including Metro in Newcastle, TFM in Stockton, and as well as that, BBC Radio Tees. Uh, he has also uh, been praised by his mentor, John Myers, which was featured in his book, Team, It's Only Radio. And he has also hosted Evenings With events for the likes of Stin and Mark Knopfler. And I look forward to learning a bit more about him in this edition. But before I uh, move on to that, let me say a big Welcome to Paul Goff, or better known as Goffy. Fantastic, Luke. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, the only thing is, taking me back to all those stations, it was like a time travel journey, you know, all just unbelievably good memories, though. So all of those stations had a brilliant time with and still having a great time on the radio to this day. Oh, well, that's amazing, Paul. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing all about your life on the wireless. Thank you. So, Paul, I, I mentioned in the beginning, it's nearly three decades you've been in the radio business, but how was it you developed the bug for radio? I'd always loved, because I was working in the nightclubs, I'd always loved working with the DJs from the local radio station, which was then Radio T's 257 commercial radio station. I remember standing outside and getting photographs with the presenters and, you know, going in for car stickers and things like that. So there was a real buzz there and there was brilliant people on that radio station that time, people like Jeff Stelling, who went on to work for Sky Sports, people like John Myers, who obviously I would bump into at a later day, John Simons, uh, Paul Robinson, who went on to be quite a, a big name, very big name, in fact, in the industry. So, yeah, there were people that you heard on the radio think, oh, I wouldn't mind sort of being doing what they're doing. And then they added bonus when I was working in the nightclubs to be able to book them and get them into the, to the places, to the venues and the clubs and things like that and talk to them. So the, the book was always there and they'd always be talking about, you know, if you fancy popping into to the station, whatever, pop down and see us. And uh, Jeff Sellen was the very first one to introduce me into a radio station. I'd known Jeff because he was working for the Hartlepool Mail and me being a Hartlepool lad. Uh, that's the way we developed a, a friendship, which is still to this day going strong, still in regular contact with Jeff and regularly see him at football and things like that. But we always joke about him being the first one to invite me in. He was doing a Saturday afternoon sports programme for the old Radio Tees commercial station. And whenever I play Cloud Substitute, uh, which I often do on my shows, then I'm back in that studio for the very first time in awe of Jeff Stelling. And little did I know, you know, how his career would go at such a pace and such an incredible career he's having now and known across the world through his Sky Sports. And whenever you talk to people about being from Hartlepool on holiday, they immediately these days, instead of talking about the hanging of the monkey, they talk about Jeff Stelling and his legend. So yeah, great place, great times. And that's how I got the bug. When me ma and dad used to send me up to grocers at Top of Hill, I'd go in there and say, Mr. Grocer, do you have any butter? Real butter? And he'd say, yes, Jimmy, I have. He'd give me a pound of his best butter. Real butter. Yellow butter. And I'd come back down the hill with it smeared all over my body so I could slide down instead of having a run. And I'd go in the house. I'd say, Ma, Da, I've got your butter. Real butter. Yellow butter. And they'd say, but we sent you for tea bags. I'd say, I know... But I was listening to the big P on the big T with, well, it's different. And he likes butter, real butter, yellow butter. 
Why don't you tune to Well, It's Different, 10 till 1, every Saturday on Radio Tees, a programme specially for people who like butter well, and lots when of When mentioning those names and mentioning Jeff Stelling, um, the, another name you did happen to uh, drop in there was John Myers. And it would be uh, fair for me to start by saying that um, you and uh, John had a uh, long association together. Was this how the association started? No, it wasn't. No, I didn't meet him, but I was well aware of him being on the station because I would listen to him quite a lot. It was always my go-to station, the commercial. And it was for so many people at that time, the commercial station. Yeah. But it wasn't until uh, 1994 when Century Radio would launch in the Northeast that I'd get my very first meet with him. And that was via John Simons, who's a friend of mine for many, many years. And he then invited me in to have a chat with John. At that time, they were looking for some songs, would you believe? And I had them because I was working the, the clubs at that period and they wanted some songs for the system and things like that. And really got in and at that point was able to, yeah, just by chance when they launched the overnight, so the, the launch on the 1st of September and on the overnight show the following day, then, oh, sorry, into the into the next day of that, which would be the 2nd of September, they had an issue with someone who was doing the overnights and I got the late night call. And it was a call which was just totally swept me away, really, because when I was going into the building, the security bloke, I was knocking on the door saying, hello, 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 can I come in because I'm doing a show? And I had to sort of go through all these calls to get myself through the building. So uh, that was quite uh, quite nerve-wracking, to be honest with you. But it was great. The security fellow had obviously just started there too and I felt really at home because he would bring down cups of tea and things like that through the course of the night and <laughs> he had so much more of an idea what was going on than I did <laughs> and he only just started too so it was the blind leading the blind but it was a wonderful experience and yeah really get the bug then really sort of kicked in massively and I wanted to do more of it and more of it and more of it and I think I, rem- I remember starting out for those shows and I ended up doing them for about I don't know 10 or 15 quid a shift it was something ridiculous but whenever, whenever I would challenge them for those first few months, they would say things like, oh, well, you're learning, you know. It's a great experience, this. You're not that very good. So <laughs> bear that in mind. So, oh, yes, 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 I'll do it again tomorrow night and then next week. So absolutely brilliant. And then the calls were starting to come through and chatting to people, then getting links with people who were doing the night shifts. You know, it wasn't a lot of people, but <laughs> it was great fun and I loved it. Good morning, this is John Morgan on Thursday the 1st of September. It's 7am and a star is born. And it does sound like great fun because um, going back to where you talked about September the 2nd when you were asked to do the overnight show and um, making your way down to, uh, was it Tynebridge Tower at the time, the um, the building, the, yeah. sta- the station Just was Just at the side of the Tynebridge it was. Just at the side of the time bridge and uh, going into that studio on September the 2nd, what were your memories of doing that first show? Oh, I remember how nervous I was when I was driving across to do it. That was the first thought. And then I couldn't believe my luck. You know, sometimes things happen for a reason. Sometimes things, uh, you look at that situation, someone who's due in to do that slot or they shuffled about for me to do that slot. You think, well, how's this happened? First, you know, almost first day first 24 hours of it and you're in amongst it and it was just hugely exciting it's something that again because i'd listened to radio and because i was a big fan of radio and always have been 
I kind of thought, well, at least I know what it's all about. But when you get on air, <laughs> you don't really. It's a totally different ball game altogether when you're on the other side, the microphone there, and you've got to drive it all through and you've got to keep it going and you've got to think on your feet. And, and it was exciting. And I was so keen that I would buy into loads of stuff. I'd not only get the advice of two great people like John Simons and John Myers, then I'd also buy into packages in America with people like Dan O'Day and I'd spend a fortune you know, I was also having a business, so I was plowing a lot of money into my own self-development, really, to to understand what it was all about. Because once I got on it, I realised that what I thought it was and what it w- was eventually was just two different things altogether. And you mentioned about your business there. And what was it like at the time to have your own business um, and then also being on the air at the same time? How were you managing um, to do the two at once? Well, I wouldn't say the two at once, but you know, you know. Yeah, what it was, yeah it was, well, I was doing mobile discos. I was also doing nightclub functions and things like that. But the more I was doing it and the more I realised, and it was, you know, look back and think, it was a you know a weird decision because I turned down a lot of money to go and do the radio thing. So the passion of the radio overtook, the, the money was immaterial. I was thinking then at that time, I just love this. And so, all right, I might be turning down gigs and things, which more sensible to do financially, but I love the radio so much that it was just a case of, well, I'm just going to have to ride this through and, and just do the radio. And, and again, you know, when I was doing shows and there was Snoop Tape and they were bringing my tapes down the following day and I was sitting with people like John Simons and John Myers and they're sort of critiquing your show and it's it's simply, you, you can't buy that kind of experience, you can't buy that knowledge that they would give you to really speed you on to become a much better presenter. And like I did with my mobile discos and clubs, I always wanted to aim to be the best or the best that I possibly could be. And when I was on the radio, there was not going to be any short changing in that for sure. That was just another continuation of me wanting to do well. So whatever it would take for me to do, uh, to the cost, the, the, the loss of money doing other things, then that's the way it was going to be. And I devoted my time to the radio. I turned down functions so I'd be better prepared to be on air so I wouldn't be crashing in at two o'clock after I'd been to a nightclub gig or whatever it would be. I just focused in on what I wanted to do. That was the start of it, really. And I learned, you know, but I've learned that throughout my career that if you want to do something, if you want to do something well, and I'm still to this day, when I'm doing shows for BBC Radio Tees, I'm still focused in. I leave one show. I'm thinking ahead to the next weekend. I'm thinking about things that I see visuals that I see, jotting things down, hearing things. Uh, and, and that's the way it is. And that's where I've always been. And I guess I'm too far down the line now to, to turn back. I don't you know, always try and please. I'm never one of those that goes on air underprepared. I know exactly what I'm going to do. Well, not, not to a degree, because to a certain degree, that's true. But in other ways, you know, I, I have got and armed with what I need to get through that show and any additional bits that come along the way by taking a, the odd gamble or, or a little bit of a risk along the way, then I'll embrace those. And with the experience I've got, I normally get away with them and have a bit of fun with them. But it's still no less now. You know, you talk about the 2nd of December when that kicked off. The buzz of going into a studio is still the same. Driving up the A19 to get into BBC Radio T's to do my shows is still that passion to do it, to do well. And to want to make people happy. It's it's a great environment. You know, I've been in many situations off the radio through the years that have not been brilliant, you know, personally, you know, marriage things and issues like that. But I've always discovered that the place that's never once let me down is the radio studio. And I'm always at my best in there. And I'm always at peace with it. And it's just the greatest place. It's To this day, it's never let me down. 
and anybody that sort of may have come along the way to disrupt anything in the studio, they didn't last sort of too long with me. That was always the case of you know, feeling comfortable in there. Because if you feel comfortable in there, then you're always going to be in with a great shout of delivering half decent radio. Coffee in the morning. In the morning. If you're just tuning in, by the way, it's live and exclusive here at Goffey in the Morning at Century FM. No other station or no other TV station around the world will speak to Gaza today, but this radio well, station... I speak to anyone, Goffey. I will not speak to anybody now today unless it was you. You're the man I want to speak to, right? I only trust people that trust me. Give them to you. You look after me. I look after you. If you want to give me a stick, there's no problem. But even if, even if you give me a stick, Goffey, I'll still speak to you. Goffey in the Morning. Weekdays 6 till 10. Century FM. You, you mentioned about turning down a lot of gigs to uh, focus on the radio and it was a gamble that did pay off because um, within its first year Century was doing quite well and how long were you doing um, overnights for before progressing to the next show? Not very long because they created again with the speech base that it was they uh, created spaces for programmes like one programme I did particularly enjoy so it was was probably about six months after that I ended up doing a Saturday morning show a mid-morning show but again it was heavily speech based because we would get callers on and we'd chat about reasons why they like particular songs. We had to keep them on air for quite a bit just to get the speech ratio up if it was you know fluctuating across the week and if we're on air on a Saturday it was chatting away to them for sometimes slightly longer but it was a br- brilliant experience and I learned loads about the way people and later in life that would come back to really help me. I learned lots about how people attach emotions to songs because you get them on and they give you some wonderful experiences. I still remember there's one particular one where a fella just, his wife had just given birth to their first child and he got onto his phone and he was full of emotion. He was saying, oh, life's just fantastic. And he was painting this wonderful picture of how he just left hospital. He's now a dad. And he was wanting the song that meant so much to him and his good lady, which was called Wonderful World, Louis Armstrong. And he was painting these incredible pictures. I remember it was a beautiful day, blue sky, sunshine out there as well. And it was just the perfect caller. And there was many like that. You know, we'd get them on and get them chatting about the songs and kind of make it interesting as opposed to this was, that was, this is, that is. It was really embracing and taking close the caller, making them feel comfortable and finding them away with things like, well, come on, tell us about this song. Tell us what it means to you. Tell us what the history is. Incredibly amount of stories that developed from them. We were you know, very successful with that show. It was, was great. And I think then they discovered that, I'm talking about the duo there, the Johns thought about me doing extra work and I did. I ended up covering a or getting my own show which was called Goffey's Game Show which went out across the summer after the football three legends would take a break and that really was where I was getting calls one after another for a couple of hours and having a bit of fun with them having a laugh trying to keep them on board with us for quite a while and it was again a wonderful experience of dealing with live radio live calls things going wrong and most of all making it fun making those two hours of speech fun laughter was the game warmth was the game still is oh absolutely and when was your first outside broadcast the first one would probably be the metro center that was pretty prominent at the time it still is the metro center but we had a close link at century with the metro center so we're in there probably christmas time whatever but uh, great times it was just that time when you were going out to do those live functions that you think oh goodness me people actually know something about me when you do mobile discos and stuff it's a little bit different but when you're on the radio and you don't see people it's oh yeah I listen to your show and we've had a laugh about this and had a bit of fun with that and we're answering this and we took part in this and so yeah that was just a, an, another level of development really for my career and it was it was great times and we did so many of those after that and obviously because I'd 
had a lot of experience in hosting events and going on stage and bringing on bands and mobile discos. To me, it was really easy. E- easy, but you, you could say that um, from every outside broadcast you were doing, you were your skills were developing further and further. Unquestionably. As it got through and we went on to the time when Century was taken over by Capital Radio, we went out to the, the boss at the time there, one of the bosses. And there was a brilliant boss when another boss worth mentioning was Gordon Davidson, who was fabulous as a, as a programme controller and also so encouraging with my work and things like that. And he would throw all kinds of things at us. I remember we went out to America, to Las Vegas, and we were doing, we were in the Capitol Group at that time, so they were throwing money at us like there was no tomorrow with bus sides and adverts and all over the place, all across the Northeast, everywhere. We were backs and buses everywhere. And they sent us out to Las Vegas to marry a couple, one of the competitions we did was win uh, a wedding out in Las Vegas. And we recorded uh, some of the items out in Vegas, but also did the wedding live. We did a week at the Stardust Hotel. And again, there's a lot of history with the Stardust Hotel. When I see the song, Something's Got Hold of My Heart by Mark Armand and Gene Pitney on YouTube, whatever, the videos there of that hotel that we stayed at for that week and broadcast because they had a little broadcast suite at the top and wonderful memories. Uh, again, and when you getting on a plane out to Las Vegas to take in a radio show, you think, dear me, yeah, how did all, how did all this happen? And sort of looking back and think, dear, I was doing sort of clubs and things like that, which I'm always grateful for, but to then be doing things like that and really changing lives by taking out a couple to be married. And uh, it was just something special. And the whole career has never, you know, there's been low points and things happen and that's part of life. Being on air is just the greatest thing. I love it still with a passion. Hiya. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. I just think to say, like, I thoroughly enjoy your show. I get it one in the morning, especially to listen to it. <laughs> Honestly, I do, seriously, because we're down on our look at the moment. I haven't got a TV at all. And Century is my lifeline and my life saviour. And I love the show and everything. It's excellent. It, it keeps us safe. You mentioned in there when Capital took over, because that was towards the end of the 90s, because both Myers and Simons were leaving to set up Real Radio. Um, well, GMG, but before they had left, Century was actually a growing brand because they first started with a station uh, after the Northeast. They had one in the Northwest and then they brought one down to the East Midlands. Um, Capital then, of course, um, uh, buy it out. But at the time, so wasn't it still run by the big beast in radio, that being Richard Park? Yeah, he was great. So they, again, they were really encouraging meetings with those people. And they were just, I when they arrived, I thought I'll probably be one of the, the ones to make the exit, but that was never the case. Pumped, absolutely tons, pumped loads of money into the show and it got the message out there. They developed all kinds of other shoots from that. They got me to do wind-up calls, which we then went on to do four CDs of, which sold about 20,000, 22,000 copies. Massive. Then we did a, a book all about the jokes that we'd accumulated from listeners that went to a local charity and raised £10,000. And they're always looking to do the next thing. And that was the great thing about Capital. And when the money arrived, uh, they were always looking to how can we, what can we do next that would promote and they spent such a lot of time with me and money as well, which I'll be forever grateful for because the name Goffey, which is, you know, they spent, I can't, can't imagine the amount of money they spent on it, not just on air, but around the whole of the region was immense. So it kept that name, you know, Goffey alive and still all these years on. 
very rarely, you're doing it today, but very rarely people see me and call me Paul. It's, how are you doing, Goffey? So it's only, you know, it's that one word they use. So I've been very fortunate with that. It's kept us afloat, which I'm eternally grateful for, just as I was with the meeting of the two in the first place initially at Century, as I was with Gordon Davidson, who I said at the start was another great programmer. And a one who... Immediately, the thing I loved about him when he arrived at Century in the Northeast, he says, you're my man. You're my man. I'm going to put everything into you and you're going to work. this is going to work for you. So when you get that kind of backing, you go on air and you know fine well that the bloke upstairs who you're going to be answering to is right alongside you. And every time you go past him, his thumbs will be after the show. Great stuff. Keep going. You do, you know, so that's, that, that's the best thing of all. When, when you're working for people like that. and But the, the high majority of people I've worked for have been like that. There's been the occasional one where it hasn't really worked out, but hey, it's all experience and you learn other skills about yourself and other things about yourself when you're working with programmers who are, are not on the level. And that's the big thing. You know, when you have the two Johns, when you have people like Gordon Davidson, Whoever follows in that has always got a tough task. He's live with us this morning in the studio. He is Noddy Holder. So how did he get into the radio? You've joined Century FM now. How did he first kick off with that then? Well, um, I've got a first title. I mean, I've always been a radio fan ever since I was a little kid. I've always loved radio because uh, you can create things and put a, vi- a visual thing in people's minds, as you discover every morning. Exactly, coffee, exactly. And uh, the first chance I had of actually... Jocking a, a, a show playing records was in Los Angeles in about 1980, I think it was about 84. And uh, I'd done an interview at this radio station. I'd been talking in the interview what a big soul fan I was, you know, the old soul and Motown stuff. And they said, do you fancy coming in and doing a three-hour soul show one night while you're in Los Angeles? I said, yeah, I'd love it. So I got all the show prepared and everything, got it all set out, ready to do. This was my first time on radio actually hosting a radio show yeah and uh, i went in i got all the records sorted got it all worked out about a quarter of an hour into the show it came down on the news bulletins that marvin gay had been shot and it was only about four blocks from the radio station where we were amazing and uh, right right away the program controller came in he says we're going to have to change the whole format of the show now. <laughs> We're going to do a tribute to Marvin Gaye. Yeah. And luckily, I was a big Marvin Gaye fan. And so I knew all about him. I knew all about his music and that. And so I actually hosted a three-hour tribute to Marvin Gaye right off the top of my head, off the cuff. And it went down an absolute storm. And I got a real taste for it. It was like, in a way, I suppose it was like being on stage. You get that buzz being in the studio when things happen and they go right. It's just as good a buzz as being on stage. And I thought, I'd like to do a bit more of this. And so when I came back to England, I got a few offers to start doing radio stuff, and it it went from there. And, I mean, that was about when I really started doing regular radio stints was about 12, 13 years ago. And here you are. You never thought you'd reach it, but you have. You've got coffee in the morning. Exactly. Highlight, my man. Highlight. Ten years you were with Century, and, you know, you were saying about um, going to Las Vegas, the Metro Centre. What was your highlight with Century? Rajal. When Rajal comes in and you're making big inroads to, and you're causing the opposition who've been there a long time, a few concerns... It doesn't really get much better than that. And when the team, because we would do that, 
we would go upstairs on that top floor in that building and radio hour was hugely important then. <laughs> Everybody would look and wait and sort of sleepless nights running up to it. And when they started to unfold that we were really making progress with what we had and remember a lot of people when Century started off were thinking, ah, this is going to be bedded down with loads of speech here. They're not going to be able to play as much music and Metro over the road were quite uh, regularly checking up and making sure that we were keeping to the rules with the speech ratio that was needed. So in that respect, it was against all the odds, I think, for many people. And you would see various things in radio magazines and things like that. And people were really stunned that the radio station that we were and what we're offering was doing so well. But it was quite simple why it was doing so well is because the people in charge were wanting us to be the real friend. There'd be times where I'd be going out in a taxi to various parts of the area, which I wasn't particularly aware of, and talking to taxi drivers and tell us where this is, that is, all that kind of thing, all those tricks that you use. And consequently, when you get listeners on falling through for a, a competition, whatever, you'd spark up with, oh, yeah, I know that. It's next door to the school, that one, isn't it? Just over the road from so-and-so, so-and-so, and down the road from this, and... Ever since, and it's gone on for many years, the people that I meet will say to me, I used to hear you on that radio and you were talking to listeners as though you knew exactly where they were, who they were. And that was the reason because there was a bit of homework went into it. We just didn't go on air and guessing things. We did it and we researched it. And like I said to you, what we do, what I still do is making sure that when I go to weather, I'm aware of what's going on. And I'm aware of the listener. I'm aware of where they live, what they do, what's in their lives, and all those things added to it. And there were great little things that they would do to to make that radio station feel as though it was part of. But it wasn't brain surgery, really, was it? When you think about it, it was going around in a taxi, looking at an area, and sussing out what it was all about if you weren't familiar with it, and then going back and jotting it all down and remembering it and having trigger points when listeners would come on. You know, in a file somewhere about, you know, or in the back of your mind, you, you drag it out. I do believe a huge chunk of the success of Century Radio was because it was a friend. And they went out and, and really, they were our people that spread the word all across the, the Northeast. It was simple marketing, but brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And no wonder it was a success. You know, it wasn't only what was coming out of the radio. It was a thought that went into it, and it was the meeting of the people that we shook hands with and made them feel special and made them feel part of it. And that was one of the greatest package of the, of the best things that made Central Radio such a success. And getting results on Radio Our Day with coming in with big numbers was usually the best. I've read Myers' biography, and wasn't it his motto was always entertainment first, business second? Yeah, he was a master, wasn't he? Oh, t- he totally. Was the, yeah, he, he was the master. I mean, I often would say and when I would he and some of the best times was when we were doing I was on the road John had asked me if I'd go with him on the road to promote his book which was in the winter of 2012 so we traveled up and down various places for tv and radio and we went back I remember one particular story we went back to Carlisle his home base to Waterstones there for his book launch and I remember when we were walking in he said oh, a bit worried about this team he says these book signings I've heard some dodgy stories about people turning up and nobody being there it's quite embarrassing but as we turned the corner, there was literally loads and loads of people waiting into in the queue to have an autograph, to have a picture taken with him. And there was a, a lovely moment that really, for me, told me everything about what John Myers was as a human being. There was a lady sort of shuffled along with a, a, a book and she waited in the queue at the very end. And she was still there, and even though she had a chance to go up and chat with him, she waited until the final 
person had gone. I just think she wanted more time. And then she went on to talk about how his days at Carlisle, she'd lost her husband and he, John Myers, had become a best friend and got her through. She said that she would wake up some mornings and not want to be there. And he was on the radio and would make her, her smile and give her a reason to be getting up the following morning for a cup of tea and a bit of toast. And the stories were great. And I could see, I can still picture how much he was touched by it all. Big fella, John. He was really moved by the whole conversation because it took about 10, 15 minutes of conversation. And at the end of it, he genuinely was moved by what, not only the number of people had turned up because there were so many of them, but that particular moment where that lady had said how much he had made a difference to her through a, a real tough period of her life. And he looked over at me as she left she said, and said to me, Goffey, that's what it's all about. Put his thumbs up. When he was moved, he says, I had to go and get a cup of coffee now just to calm down. He says, that was really special. So that, for me, was the epitome of everything about John Myers. It was, um, yeah, it was everything off air, on air, and what he meant to people. And a listener who's gone through a really difficult period of life, he was a big giant friend that was well, there. Good to see you. And even better to know as you walked in this morning, he said, it's good to see you because you listen to us every morning, which is great. So whereabouts in the northeast are you based then? I'm, I'm down in Harrogate, uh, and obviously we train at Darlington, so a lot of the boys on their way and listen to the show. So what about passions away from it? What do you enjoy? Do you enjoy what sort of music do you enjoy if you're taking time? Like, so you spend a lot of time at home, so I guess you've got CDs and DVDs you take a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, music's a big part of our, um, a big part of our life at home and um, pretty much everything. I mean, very diverse tastes. Uh, when you're involved in a changing room, you know, <laughs> you, you, you get lots of different musical tastes. But, um, you know, I've always been a big fan of bands like U2. Um, I like Coldplay, Stereophonics, bands like that. No wonder you uh, listen to us then. Well, well it's perfect. And, and, you know, since I came up here, there's some of the old 80s tracks, which was obviously the most influential period of my, uh, m- musically, I suppose, because of my age at the time. You know, some of the tracks that you play, I think, God, I haven't heard that for years, you know, and uh, I do, do listen to you a lot. Just thinking back to the 80s, a, a song that uh, Station's played a few times, um, Fiction Factory, Feels Like Heaven. Great. And I'd not heard that for years, and then I came up here and, uh, you know, heard it heard it a few times. So all those sort of uh, sad 80s bands, I'm afraid that's... That, that, sad that, 80s, that's <laughs> a great memory. No, that's a great memory. Well, they were a band from Scotland, weren't they? The saddest thing about them was that was the one hit, so that, what would you be doing? That would be, what, 1984? Yeah, yeah, well, I was just sort of just about to leave school really I left school in 86 87 so hmm. you know that was sort of in my bedroom teenage years you can introduce it and tell us why it means so much to you fiction factory feels like heaven go on it's all yours it's just uh, takes me back to my childhood really and uh, you know innocent days but um, yeah it feels like heaven by fiction factory yeah he's too good he's going to get the job he's going to get the job 25 to 9 is Century FM good morning absolutely and, and you know the thing I always love about about Myers is every station he owned he would always well, I wouldn't say he would always do breakfast but if even if he'd already hired someone else to do breakfast if they couldn't do it that day he would get in his car and he would do the breakfast show yeah he uh, it's great and I remember the first time they told me that I was going to be doing breakfast uh, on Century Radio and uh, got really concerned about the whole thing. And I remember driving in for the first time and getting to the roundabout, or was it the penultimate roundabout just ahead of the building and thinking what I would give to turn back now and just go back to my bed <laughs> without all this kind of, because it was such a, such a massive figure to follow. And to be fair, I have to be fair, I still, on my travels, get people talking about, because he's the best. 
you know, that's not beat about the bush. He was the best. I'll always say that. And you know, I recite stories and I, I was just such a huge fan of all he was. And then I discovered that he wasn't only a great broadcaster and, and boss as well, but he was also a brilliant human being. Spent a lot of time at his home. He would snoop my tapes even after he'd left the station to go on elsewhere. We built up a great friendship. I would go up to his house in Darris Hall and he would ask me to bring my tapes up or he'd, he'd know the XD line. So sometimes he'd be travelling around somewhere and he'd be listening to the show and he'd be saying, Team, Team, can't believe that. Can't believe what you just said. He'd be sort of critiquing you. <laughs> so he'd be at another radio station. He'd be critiquing your show whilst you're sort of in an ad break. You know, <laughs> I got a second. I got a second team. I've got to. I've got to hit the next button. <laughs> and he was then going back. Oh, it's incredible. And I'll be forever grateful for for the time that I spent with that wonderful man. Even through his tough times, you know, it is it is his failings with his health, which was tragic and heartbreakingly sad. He would often send me messages when I would be on air at BBC Radio Tees and sending things through and saying, playing particular songs. He loved the song by John Miles. Music is my first love. It will be my last. And he would sort of send me this little message through. Don't forget, John Miles for me. <laughs> and I'd play it and he'd say, yeah, great. That's a yeah, great team. Love it. But I know he, he was like that, not only with me, a wonderful, warm human being, but I know for a fact, as I've discovered through the years, that he would have that presence with other people too. I'm not so sure we'd fallen up on XD to other people <laughs> long after he'd gone, but we just the things that I hear from people who've worked in, in even national radio, the way he'd send messages through, and it's just the best. After that, where do you go after working with somebody like him? He's just the best. I'm speechless for once. To describe John Myers is it's usually difficult. Every, every step of the way with him was fun. Joy, happiness. The only tough times is when you'd go into talk about your new contracts and he would say things like, Do you realize, Tim? Do you realize the amount of time I'm spending with you? Because <laughs> I love you so much. And you want extra money. You're joking me. So we had many, many a laugh about, about that. But that's the way he was. That's the way he was. And even sometimes you'd go out of the room and he would shout you back. And I'd be a novice at that time. And he'd be shouting, you, oh, come on back in. Look, I'll give you an extra 20 quid or an extra 30 quid. You deserve it. I was only winding you up. Well, he was so lovely. I'd have walked out and been happily just staying there alongside him because he was brilliant. Century FM. Home of Goffey in the morning. We'll pick a winner for Elton Jobs. Front row seats. What are we going for? 87. 87. <laughs> Who's on line 87? It's Amanda. Uh, where are you? I'm from Middlesbrough. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, <laughs> I'm bouncing on the bed. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. I'm Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Goffey in the morning. The Northeast Voice at Breakfast. Coffee in the morning. Century FM. So, um, leaving Century in 2004, and um, were the studios by this, the studios I'm I'm, I'm assuming by this point were at uh, Team Valley and Gateshead, or were they near Time Bridge? Time Bridge, when I gone, and then to Metro was the old building of Swalwell, where they'd had so many great people on air there through the years. Again, heard that station through the times of James Will, particularly remember listening to Metro Radio when he was doing the, the late nights. And one of my great friends that I got an association with at Century, Bill Steele, who was a, a wonderful broadcast, also a TV face for Time Tees recently around the Northeast. He was 
at one period of time doing breakfast for Metro. So there was loads. And again, I'm well aware of people like Mark Forrest and loads of others that developed through that radio station and Giles Squire, who was a programmer that eventually at my latter part of century was my program boss. <clears throat> so, um, so again, yeah, there's lots, lots of history there driving into that, but eventually they would make that move. It was only there a little period of time. And then the move to the, to the main building in the center of Newcastle there, which was just, uh, you know, the, the thing that you could see right up in the sky there, the building, which was a wonderful place to broadcast from. So you could look right down and see everything that was going on in the city. It was just always positive. Newcastle is a great place anyway. It's just loads of people out there all the time and a wonderful place to be broadcasting from. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've had um, the likes of Russ Williams and Tim Smith on these on this these podcasts, and I've asked them what it was like to broadcast in Newcastle uh, when they were at Metro. And they, they thoroughly enjoyed their time at Metro and said how Newcastle was just a vibrant um, university city. Yeah, and they got loads of great gigs as well. We did loads of live broadcasts. I so remember one, Don Manelli was, he was doing lots of the events and things and we headed over to Dublin for a few days to do some live broadcasts. We did a, a live, was it one live or two live shows from the Guinness Centre in there and so I remember going out the night before and having a, <laughs> having a brilliant night and meeting some people over there and getting up sort of about two hours later to do this live broadcast from from Dublin on St. Patrick's Day and seeing all the processions and going out and interviewing people. It was, again, it's like the, the Vegas thing. You stop in your tracks and say, oh, I've got here. <laughs> How have I managed to angle my way to get here on what I can offer? Just brilliant. Absolutely. Um, during your time with Metro Radio, what shows were you presenting for them? I was doing mid-morning, so I was following the initial thought. And again, another great programmer there. So I must, but he sort of left quickly after I arrived there. But he did all the, the dealings to get me to there. Paul Chandler, who I also idolised as a programmer and still doing great things with Fix Radio and so good he was just another one that knows the game knows the industry and but he left pretty much sharp after I got there which was disappointing really because I built a, a lot of hope around him and I was I had a feeling that and I knew in fact I could build a relationship and a bond with him but he was away pretty quickly I don't know whether he'd had enough with me or what but he disappeared off up the road a little while after getting to where and I really missed him because he was another one that was in the, again, up to that point, you got to remember that most of them were real big hitters and he joined that that list of them and knowing the industry, knowing what it was all about, knowing what you needed or what he he wanted you to do. And if you were able to deliver that, then you're always in a great area with him. Just wonderful again. And another big name who was still at Metro at this time was uh, the legend Alan Robson of Night Owls. He was brilliant. Yeah, got on really well with him. And Tony Horn was doing breakfast. He was really stacking up the numbers on the morning time at breakfast time. And people loved him and had a great presence in the area. And also Alan Robson at night. I remember going in and someone said, oh, you'll probably have an issue with Alan Robson. And I never did. I don't know why people would suggest that, but he was tremendous. He would be always cross-promoting the shows, which I loved. He was always talking about the shows and what I offered or what other shows offered. And he realised because he had such big numbers at that period of time when he was doing the Night Owls that he was influential and was able to get people to your shows and things. He would do pandos at Christmas and things like that and always wanted me to be part of them. And I was really sad that when his time on the radio ended not so very long ago, because I know how special 
he was how he always will be to so many people through the years. You know, that late night one-to-one contact, which after my listening to James Whale on Metro, Alan Robinson would take over. So I was very aware of what he was all about, even from his early days. But he was lovely. I couldn't fault him at all. And we've kept contact as well, which is nice. And, you know, just so wish him well. Great man. Welcome, Night Owls. Welcome, Facebook Live as well. Good to have you on board right now, Alex. Alex G on our switchboard. Waiting to book you in for a chat with Simon. Being at Metro, and Metro, again, is is a heritage station. And how many years were you with Metro doing mid-mornings for? A couple of years. And then I was also during that period of time, uh, Colin Patterson was the boss at TFM, who's obviously now still doing work for the BBC and great work he's doing too. In Wales. And he asked, yeah, in Wales, exactly, that's where he is. And he asked me if I would go along to do a Sunday morning show similar to what I was doing at Century with Goffey in the Morning, and we called it, would you believe it, Goffey at the Weekend. And we did it and would bring in lots of the elements of what I was doing then. That was another great time. Had the biggest laughs on there and they allowed me to have people in the studio on a morning in full control of it, really. And that was great times, loved it. And remember then I was right on my home patch. It was right there, probably for the first time I'd worked across the region then, but I was homing in on very much so on the area where I was born and the clubs that I'd worked in and the places I'd visited as a child and on the old Radio T's patch, which we initially talked about at the start, where I was looking for autographs of the presenters and things. That must have been a dream come true for you because we were talking uh, near the beginning where you said you got the bug from listening to Radio T's, now it's TFM, and here you are now working on the station that you grew up listening to. Yeah, it had moved buildings. It was uh, 74 Dovecote Street is the one I remember as a young lad going along there for autographs and stickers and things, but it moved buildings, but it still had the same feeling getting on there of really ticking off the fact that I always wanted to be part of it. And the first time I was driving in, again, like I do a lot, I was recalling all the names that had worked there and we already highlighted people like Jeff Sellin and loads of others who've gone on to be a huge success following their arrival on that radio station. But it was lovely, fun. Happy, joyful, always a delight to be on the radio. I had a built up through that period of time, a great connection with listeners and they would phone through and we'd have a laugh and it was just all off the cuff and just joyful is probably the best word to use. And because uh, wasn't the the studio for TFM, they're now university houses, aren't they? Yeah, still, I was just recently working in my own business. We were doing a, a film festival recently, so I was driving past that on a regular basis. Yeah, it's all changed dramatically and that's all gone and times have changed the old original building i was talking about in dovecut street where the original radio t's 257 was from is now again there's there's flats and things like that within there but you can still see the it's there the old building the corner of it there and once there was a pub over the road which i remember and all that area was very familiar to me and it, it does it brings going back there which i have been doing recently for my own work again brings it all back those great commercial radio days that were simply tremendous
So how long as well were you with Radio T's TFM for? A couple of years. It was the duration, really, more or less the duration of what I was doing or Metro was running alongside that because it was jointly owned. The stations were jointly owned. So it was, and I also enjoyed it because when I'd got into Metro, the kind of changed the plan. They wanted me originally to do a mid-morning breakfast show that would follow Tony Horns, but that quickly changed. They were doing this system of doing links that were 30 seconds and you'd go for a, a, a snoop tape or a snoop session and they'd have a, a stopwatch waiting for you. And if you went to 32 seconds, there was a blank look came over from the other side. So it quickly became clear to me that I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't going to be around there long. Uh, but <laughs> again, that's the way it was. And the things were very, you'd play three or four songs in a row, then a sweeper or a jingle or whatever it would be. And then you'd look up and think, well, here's my moment. <laughs> And so you'd have the three songs that you just played, this, 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 and this, and the time is. And then next, you're into your commercials and trying to find some way to throw forward to the songs that were going to appear after the, the commercials that you're about to play. It was all very uh, stiff and certainly not for me. And we'd have regular conversations, you got to the end where... Yeah, you know, like a bit of a game thing, really, when the, the clocks would be counting down to 30 seconds. How long? How long have we got left? So we're here in the snoop tape of what I've been putting out on air and timing it against the 30 seconds. And so fingers crossed that I would get to the 30, the bottom of the half hour there. So I'd hit the 30 seconds to be in time. And again, that was that was never going to work for me. And, but you play on. Yeah, you play the game and it's the pain of the money and you, you do you do the best you possibly can. And again, leaving that building, they could never complain about the fact that we did loads of appearances and loads of shows and effort and did the links with the presenters because it was some great people on there. I mentioned Tony and Adam Robson and the other lads that, that were there at that time. Uh, we, we all built up good friendships and we had regular nights out together and things like that. So it, 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 it had loads of good positives about it as well. When you leave Metro and TFM, now before going to BBC Radio Tees, don't you take a a little bit of a break out of radio? I did take a bit of a break. I wasn't feeling particularly great. I had a lot of things going on. I lost my sister at the back end of the century period. She was very young, my sister Angela, who I adored. And we did a big event with Alan Shearer and various others at Newcastle United for my sister. We raised quite a lot of money and we did a lot of other things. Uh, but that really hit me hard, my, my, the loss of my sister. And there was quite a few things going on, I had marriage issues and things like that. And I just felt as, as though everything was getting on top of me. And I felt as though, and I, I could also see the changes in radio that were ahead. There was lots of, there was much more sharing of programs and I was thinking mm. you know when I was given the opportunity to take over a breakfast I also then as I said to you earlier on was looking at becoming my own marketer and self-publicist so I was thinking maybe I'll combine some of those elements to move a business forward and launch my Goffey Media Company with the success of really my, my radio and that really helped me to have something else alongside radio so whenever and if ever I was to go back to it I wouldn't feel as though it was the be all and end all and if something didn't arrive or something and through a period of time there's a couple of opportunities to go back but it just didn't feel right there was never never a moment where I thought this is the right place until the eventual call came from Dan Thorpe and BBC Radio Tees to, to go there but yeah I didn't feel great I, did, I had a bit of a wobble 
and I've spoken about that. And it's probably made me a, it was a life changing moment when I had an issue of, of my fall. And I've talked about it regularly on air. I talk about it regularly to people. I help people through dark periods of their lives, through going through what I've, and I've experienced that and taking that to air and openly talking about it, and which I do now. When I first got the chance to go to BBC Radio Tees, they said to me, what would be things you'd like to do? And we talked about music, which would always be surprising songs, talked about fun, about it's being spontaneous, about just going into a studio and having a bit of fun with it. And Dan Thorpe was, and again, there's another one. Another one has given me loads of freedom and support through the years. He says, go and do it. I said, I would also like to do, because I've had a fall and because I've been to a doctor and got myself through this difficult period of my life, I want to bring something to air where I can express how it feels as a bloke behind the microphone talking to my listener, how it feels to hit the buffers. And I created a feature which has been running for 10 years called Inspirations. And on it, I'll talk regularly to my listener about tough times. And because I'm on a Sunday, I would often tell a story that I always found Sunday a particularly difficult day because I'd been out through those tough times, hitting the drink, having one too many and waking up on a Sunday morning and not really want to be there. It's a horrendous time. And I've said to my listener many times when I've been on air that I understand how you're feeling today if you're in that mood and you must participate in your own survival. You have to do something about it. If you're feeling not good today, you've got to promise me that you're going to shake this and get there to where you need to be and talk to someone. And it's also been great, this inspirations feature, because through it, I said I would like to go out and help people to go to events and to make people who in feeling good or supported to go out and help them. And I've been able to do that with the feature and it's got some incredible successes through the years. It's raised an amount of money, which would be hard to put a figure to. Uh, but not only that, turned up at events and hosted them for people, for organisations. And to be fair, it's, it's something that the BBC have taken and also used now called and they built the the lots of their output about it called make it a difference make the difference campaign which they've been running and very similar highlighting people helping people and giving people a shop window an opportunity to publicize events or to make people feel special and i take great pride that i was doing that 10 years ago and it's now a major part of the BBC's output right across the country. And again, wonderful. And I still enjoy it so much to this day that it's it still will fire up people. Or I, can, I know when a feature works, because when you have things these days like Messenger, people see lots of stuff and messages online, on Twitter, on Facebook, but they never see messages that come through the studio or they never see messages that arrive via your message, your account on your mobile phone. And regularly after that feature goes out on Sunday, I will get somebody wanting to get a message to me and say, I've just heard your show. What you just said there really resonates with me. It's really hit home with me. Thank you for being there today. I'm determined to get up tomorrow and to make a fresh start and to crack on with my life. And that's just one of the scenarios, but there's various others that have, that have come through the years. And interestingly, when I'm on Facebook and I've got accumulated quite a lot of friends on there through the period of time, and whenever that feature goes out on a Sunday, there's always a surge of message requests from people who have been listening to the show and want to become a friend. And I always put that, I always be aware on a Sunday tea time that my phone will go with 
another rival of people who've, and I'm only guessing, have heard and have communicated or connected with them via the radio on that day, and they want to be a little bit closer and think, well, this guy has lived my life. He's been through it. He's had a wobble. He's quite open to talk about it. He wants to, to help and He's real. And it's been the joy. If I look back on my, my time at Tease, which will come to a, an end in the near future, I will look back and think the inspirations feature has, and I've got a, a book and a file somewhere on my computer of all the, the stories that have gone into the papers following it. And there was a beautiful one of a man called Gordon Mogg who rang one Sunday afternoon and was suddenly telling me that he just lost his wife and been through tough times and didn't really know how we would move forward in life. And every year, because it was around the Christmas period, he'd ring through and say, mm, first year was, it's been a tough year. Second year, he'd made contact with a, a lady in South Africa and saying that life was starting to feel a bit better. He was starting to feel as though it was being kind to him again. A year later, he was back on to tell me that the lady from South Africa, Rose, had arrived and had spent quite a chunk of the year together. A year later, he was back on to tell me the story that they were going to get married. A year later, he invites me to the wedding, which I've just been to this year. And it doesn't really get much better than that. That's the You take someone from the depths of despair who's hearing you on the radio and you take them to, I have to say that when I went to the wedding, there was a tear in my eye because it was just such a... I'd followed, and my listeners had followed the story from the lowest point. And I can still hear his voice on that first morning facing Christmas alone after he lost his wife. And then to the joy of the last Christmas to where it was due to be the wedding. And obviously this year it was, and to be part of it and to be with all his family and friends. And Rose brought family over from South Africa and they understood everything that and how the journey, so it just shows you how, how news travels and how radio travels so instantly, really. All the family from South Africa, where Rose was born and family we were from, had arrived over there. They were all fully affair with how the story developed on air and were so grateful. And it was one of the best things ever. So they got married on the Saturday and I was there with them. And then on the Sunday, they were both on the show with me the following day, talking about how it had all got to where it did and the joy of it is just stunning. You, know, you, you you go onto Facebook afterwards and you look at the messages and how it's hit home to people and how it's changed. Yeah, give people hope. And that's the greatest thing of all. It's just incredible. Radio is, is, is the best at doing that. Absolutely. Certainly has been the magic of radio. And you mentioned about how inspiration um, was the um, stepping stone, we should say, that started Make a Difference. Um, it's also worth mentioning because um, we 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 have, of course, uh, when when we were preparing for this, that um, I did say to you because there have been other features that um, have been the inspiration for uh, other radio station show, and I did say you should really be taking these out as trademarks. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but no, it, it, that that feature there was I can take a bit of credit for that because that is exactly the same feature that the BBC are running for. You know, with with the, the big thing that they build around it now, it's exactly the same thing where they give a window of opportunity to a listener. Um, and I was recently at my great friend Gary Phillips and the BBC Radio Tees was hosting the, the awards night for the 
all the people who've been making a difference through the year. And it was great again. And, and that's what they should be doing. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing that really local radio is all about and should be doing lots of that. And thankfully they are, they are doing that. And it, it, it does, it makes a difference. You go to an event like that awards night and you see the stories of how radio has helped and how it's connected and how it's got people to better places. Then it's great. But I'm, not hiding it. I was doing it ten years ago, and that was the that was exactly the the structure and what I wanted to include. Because he's he done. Thorpe said to me at that time, "What would you like?" What, what? I said, "Well, I haven't." Because he was well aware that I've been through a particularly bad times. So I just want to find a, a slot in my program where I can help others change their lives, make a difference, inspire them to to do better, and that's what it was. And it's still going. I'm still using it now. And so I said, and that whole thing, that station format I'm running a BBC radio teas and have been doing through 10 years is, is pretty simple. It was, I said to him, I'd like to include surprise songs. So I was playing a lot of songs that had been forgotten about. And again, using my, my connection to hearing lots of the old radio teas days and one of my favorite presenters, and I've never mentioned him yet. And I worked for him doing some stuff at Time Tees was Alistair Perry. I loved Alistair Perry. He was called the Big P on the Big T. He was a great character. I loved his shows, loved a lot of the songs he would play. There'd be many of the artists like America and Peter Allen and tons of other songs that were never major hits. But the thing that it was also Radio Tees had its own top, was the 75 or top 100. So they would play them out of that. And remember, it was very different and would work out differently to the songs that Radio 1 were playing. So because they'd played them through the week, they compiled their own charts and there was lots of songs that fell along the way. And it's been great through the 10 years to put them back onto the radio and, and to give stories about those chart return shops or what, whatever shops they would be using at the time, Radio T's, to to compile that chart and to, to play them on the show that I'm doing. I, again, I love it. I love it and attaching when I started with the initial sheet of paper to work out what I'd like to do, I wanted to include songs that would attach memories for people you know, growing up, songs that I was the youngest of nine. So I was quite fortunate that my brothers and sisters were all well ahead of me and I could hear a lot of the songs through the years that they loved. So it gave me a great feel for music as I would work through. So it would include songs and attach emotional memories. We hear songs differently, much different, you know, different set of ears these days because we remember hearing Glen Campbell at home. I do. My mum loved Glen Campbell. My mum loved various country stars. And to play those songs now, I remember growing up and being around our house and hearing them and thinking, you know, just let me get my records on and have no time for them, really. But as time has developed, getting that emotional attachment to the songs and recalling being around our house, the youngest of nine, and you know, picturing my mum playing the music on a Sunday while she was making the Sunday dinner and getting all organised and those songs powering around. And yeah, great. So if that was my life, then the person that I'm talking to highly likely on a Sunday afternoon or weekends when I've been doing BBC Radio Tees through the years, they'll have gone through something very similar and it's proved to be the point that you know a lot of the songs that I play, I'll find... Uh, our surprise songs, I'll find emotional attachments to them. I'll talk about the nightclubs they were played in. I'll talk about how it was on a weekend to get your pay packet, to open it up, to have a little strip 
and looking at the bottom end to find how much you've been paid. If you're a female, probably heading out to Chelsea Girl or one or two other fashion shops. If you're a bloke looking forward to your footy, having memories attached to the period of time of the footballers that were around at that time, having memories of the local record shops in our area, like of Alan Fernley's, which was a major record store, talking about going through the racks of records on a Saturday afternoon and having a few quid and looking to get into your favourite nightclubs around the patch. Save me well. And, and, and always looking for different routes to take those stories and take my listener on a little journey and a memory through to what it was, where they were, what they were doing, recalling those good times. And the thing I said, which was the top of the list, was never to make it sound though dated to make it still sound as though it is today. The presentation is not is very for today. It's no cliche about golden oldies or these are the great days, whatever. It's just fun. It's taking them back, but not sort of like sticking them in there and thinking, oh, I just wish I was back there forever. It's taking them in there for a visit and taking them back to where we are today and living real life as it is. So that was always part of it. And I think that's why, and it just gets a great reaction. I look at social media when I'm on air and when I'm off air and it really hits home and people will then send me stories. I heard you talk about this today. And I remember doing this, this, and this. It would be a story that they'd built around a song or their memories or talking about places that they visited through, through the years. So, yeah, it's worked. And there's no week goes by where I don't come off air and I didn't know that. Or You're just learning all the time. You're learning so many things about when you when you're heavily and that show that I do at the moment at BBC Radio Tees for a couple of hours on a Sunday between two and four is heavily based on emotions. I'm forever pulling strings uh, to a listener is um, their emotions. I'm always pulling at them and one way or another, be it a bit of fun, be it a bit of wallowing in a time briefly, then coming out of it at a period of the life or school or whatever it would be, or starting work for the first time or the crash of a, of a love relationship or a marriage, the, all kinds of things, you know, everything that, you know, talking about how relationships have gone wrong as they are parents now and their youngsters and their family coming through. And so a big, big spread of life in front of me and picking out different bits of, to tug away at emotions, my listener, you know, taking them on this little journey with me. And it seems to work, which is nice. And it, it has worked because the, the the BBC radio tees with Dan Thorpe, my boss there, supporting me through it. You know, it was my choice to say probably time is up for me to be here to do this. And it was my choice, but it's been brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to so much like the time and the journey leaving Century. It'll be the same feeling again because I've got that connection. It's I've been out, met so many of the listeners, brought a lot of the elements that Century used, talked about going out, meeting people, meeting listeners, being with them, being alongside them, answering their messages constantly when they come through. Never been one to duck any of that if messages come through about something or if there's a life problem that I've hit them with on the radio that affects them. I've never been frightened to get a conversation and spend some time with them. So I've been really surprised, having said that, that I only do a couple of hours a week and when I recently announced that I was going to be leaving my show and BBC Radio Tees, the, the amount of messages that arrive through. I would have expected to be on that level if I was doing six days a week like I was at Century. But to do a few hours and to receive so many messages and 
from listeners and from people within the industry. There was one from Leslie Douglas arrived during the period of uh, the news being out there and just saying great things. Never met Leslie Douglas in my life, but saying how much of an impact my work had hit right across the country. So don't ever think it's just in the Northeast where you're respected and things like that. You know, when you start out and you make that break or you make that change from working in clubs and mobile discos and you embrace all the stories I've told you along the way and you get to a full stop almost point. And I'm not retiring, by the way, that's one thing I just better clear up because I've got loads to offer yet. But you get to a point where someone like Leslie would send you through that message and say some lovely things, never ever meeting and saying that you've made a difference not only in the area where you work, but right across the country, people are well aware of what you've been doing on the radio and hats off to you. So when you start out and you turn down the mobile discos and you turn down the extra money to be on the ball to do the shows, that to me was the, the only decision at that time. And it's proved to be the best decision ever because the time's just, and the journey's been incredibly good. I've loved every second of it. The sound, the sound of where we live. But I was in Della because I was interviewing yesterday, I had a chance of a chat with Gary Puckett and that was irresistible because he, for me, is, and his songs, the songs that I remember as a child growing up and hearing them playing around our house and my brothers and my sisters buying into them. And at that time, when you're a young lad, you don't really get into the fact of Lady Willpower and Woman Woman and cheating on your mind and all that kind of thing it's just you're just happy aren't you you're just getting on with life and you don't buy in or don't understand what it's all about but certainly being a, a huge soundtrack to the Goffey household maybe the same for you through that period of time but he was lovely to talk to he was just thrilled that he got over from his home in Florida to be part of the 60s gold tour which is traveling around the UK at the moment and he was saying that it's fantastic that people have bought into his songs and the memories of the songs. He says, if I was to get up on stage, he says, I just would, if possible, if I needed to, I could just stand there. The audience would sing word by word every song. He says, and that's when you know you've really cracked it and made a, a huge impression in people's lives through the years. So he was blown away with that, his appearance. There was two of the appearances, one in the afternoon at Darlington Hippodrome and again on the night time. And they were rammed full chocker, people singing along every word. And I was chatting to him and he was saying that one of the greatest things, I've always loved this question, if ever you throw a question to a music star or somebody who's recorded a song, if you say to them, what was it like when you first heard your records on the radio for the very first time? He says, and his eyes almost were lighting up as he was giving the answer. You've just taken me right back to a radio station playing it when I was in the car and the feeling of it, he says, that will never go away. That'll, that feeling of what the joy and all the hard work that had gone to get it onto the radio and to be played, he says, was absolutely stunning. He was very appreciative of his relationship with his fans and I loved it because what he did at halftime, he said, I'm going to be in the foyer at halftime. If you'd like to come and say hello, we'd like to have a, a chat. If you'd like to have a photograph, there was no deal, financial deal in it. He just wanted to be appreciative of it. Wonderful. He would have sat there. <laughs> Once he got onto the roll of the questions, Gary Puckett would have gone on forever and ever. He said, do us a favour, Goffey, when you get back on to BBC Radio Tees tomorrow afternoon, will you just say thank you? 
thank you. Thank you so much to all my fans around and listening to your show. And I'll never forget them. Every second has sounded like a huge privilege to be at, whether it was uh, Century, whether it was Metro, um, TFM and BBC Radio Tees. And in those 30 years of experience that you've had on Radio Paul, what advice would you give to anyone who's wanting to make a career in radio? It's funny enough you should say that because on Friday I'm with a special school in my hometown and um, this is my second visit with them. They've got a small radio system and it's a special school and they are all of them are doing media courses and are desperate to be on the radio and the joy. We do shows where I interview them, they play, pick out particular songs, they give me stories about their lives and things like that. And I just can see the joy of them being on, opening a microphone and I just encourage them all the way. It's easy because things are changing so much in radio. So oh, it's, it's spent force and there's not many jobs around now and be negative about it all. But I look at the other way. You've just got to keep on driving forward. You've just got to, if, you have that dream as a youngster to want to be on the radio. If you have that dream and someone comes along and starts talking negative, which I rarely do, then you're just crashing any hope. That's something I wouldn't do. And I always just say to, to those youngsters who are desperately keen to, to get on the radio or, or work in that kind of field, is just keep going, keep working at it, get into hospital radio, keep working at what you're doing and keep those dreams alive and you'll get there. You just keep believing that you're going to get there because without that, without the hope and the, that is the, the one clear point I'll make without that hope and without that, you're lost. And if anybody would come along, if I was to go in there and talk to those youngsters on Friday and say to them, yeah, I'm, I'm out of it because it's not looking good. There's people going to lose the jobs. Sadly they are. And that's really heartbreaking for so many people, but you've got to give them hope that there's opportunities going to come along. Things will change. and there will be opportunities for them to to move forward in something that they love so much. And I can clearly see how much they love it by being in the studio with them, by being around the people who look after them and spend time with them and see their, their little joy when we give them a recording of the show that they put together to take home to play to the parents or the, the guardians, whoever the people are looking after them. Oh, can't wait to get this on. Can't wait to take this that's radio that's the wonderful thing of it can't wait to get this play my mum and she'll when we get back home tonight and she's going to sit and listen while we have our tea and you can almost see the the eyes light and open the thought of being on the radio so it'll be forever special jobs I suppose in years to come will fluctuate up and down and that's the way most industries are isn't it up down one minute it's up it's down so you've got to keep on believing that you can get there and keep driving forward keep working hard when I had the opportunity I because I had such a, a desire to do it, I was able to push things that were, well, was well aware at that time were going to give me more financially. But the gain of the joy, uh, I, I can't express the joy that it brings to me on the radio. And I tell that to, to people when I'm doing coaching or whatever with these youngsters, which I'm doing at the moment. But I don't really need to tell them because I can see when they're on air just by the the, the light and the, the, the sheer light that's beaming from them that they're loving what they're doing and that's what they want to do and I ain't going to be one that was ever going to throw negatives on it so keep on keeping on
it's the best whatever. Keep on driving forward and keep on looking for opportunities and keep believing, staying positive. And on that note, Paul, who would you say your radio great was? John Myers, unquestionably. Yeah, unquestionably. He was wonderful before I ever got onto the air. Loved what he brought to the radio century. Loved his this big personality that he portrays. And he was not just it on air, he was off it, full of fun, happiness. And again, it brings me back to that story of Waterstones in Carlisle, his hometown of that day. He, he registered on so many levels and, yeah, the greatest, unquestionably. Well, Paul Goff, a.k.a. Goffy, thank you ever so much for taking the time to appear on this edition of Radio Greats Today. Thank you very much. The sound. The sound of where we live. Goffey, hi, Alan Shearer. 30 years in the business. Wow, I remember you when you weren't very good, how things had moved on. You're a master of your trade and you've been superb. You have to be to have 30 years in your business. We've done a lot together, help and save. Gate said all those years ago, doing some great work for the hospice for your sister. So congratulations and keep it up. See you soon. Take care. All the best, mate. Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke.